The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of Swartbox. HSBC beats with a 74% surge in third quarter profit as Europe's largest lender announces a $2 billion buyback program. The group CFO Ewan Stevenson telling CNBC the bank is well positioned for any rise in interest rates. It's a hundred basis point parallel shift in the curve. It adds about $7 billion of revenue to us or about two percentage points to our return on tangible equity. Uh, So we are very, very geared uh, to a rising interest rate environment. Talks between Unicredit and the Italian Treasury over the sale of Monte de Paschi de Siena collapse, throwing doubt now over Rome's long-held commitment to privatise the troubled lender. Shares Nevergrande's electric vehicle unit spike as the troubled conglomerate's chairman signals a shift away from property, despite work resuming on several of the developer's key projects. Facebook faces a raft of accusations as whistleblower leaks continue ahead of further testimony today, clouding the outlook for earnings also due today. So let's come back to that headline story. HSBC has posted a 74% year-on-year jump in third quarter pre-tax profit to $5.4 billion. That beat expectations. The London-based lender also announced up to $2 billion worth of share buybacks. Emily has more on the story and joins us now from Hong Kong. So a very respectable set of figures this morning, Emily, from HSBC. Just pull out some of the other details that the audience might be interested in. Yeah, that's right, uh, Jeff. And we are seeing a nice bounce in shares of HSBC on resumed trade at the Hong Kong market just back from the lunch break and uh, seeing the HSBC shares up 1% in response to the Q3 report card. Uh, just showing you that uh, the pre-tax profit up 75% to $5.4 billion. They were profitable across all regions in the third quarter, uh, demonstrating what they said continued earnings diversity. Asia contributed $3.3 billion to that. And... Uh, Over in the UK, HSBC reported pre-tax profit of $1.5 billion. Revenues of $12 billion, that's an increase of 1%. Net interest margins of 1.19%. That was stable compared with the third quarter of last year. Common equity tier one capital ratio of 15.9%, up 30 basis points from the second quarter. Now, the company says that they, they are confident together with their strong capital position, enabling them to announce a share buyback of up to $2 billion, which they expect to commence shortly. And they didn't want to just to sit on their hands with capital. Uh, so that's why they announced the share buyback plans. Uh, there was no dividend announced, though. Uh, the group will not pay a quarterly dividend during 2021, but will review whether to revert paying 
quarterly dividends at or ahead of its 2021 results announcement in February 2022. Uh, so Nolquin Group CE saying that they had a good third quarter performance with strong growth in profits supported by additional credit provision releases. Uh, we got a chance to speak to the Group CFO, uh, Ewan Stevenson, just on the back of the earnings release. And of course, we talked to him about many things, including Evergrande and the potential rise in interest rates. This is what he had to, t- to say about a potential interest rate increase and the impact on the bank. We've definitely seen over the last few quarters an interest margin begin to stabilise after a pretty significant drop uh, as a result of the impact of COVID last year. Um, We are seeing volume growth now coming through. Uh, I think we're on track to deliver about uh, 3% loan growth this year. For next year, we're guiding to mid-single digit loan growth. Uh, if we do see interest rates coming through, um, you know, roughly if there was a hundred uh, basis point parallel shift in the curve, it adds about $7 billion of revenue to us or about two percentage points to our return on tangible equity. Uh, so we are very, very geared uh, to a rising interest rate environment. I think when you look globally, the, uh, you know, the rates that we're most sensitive to is here in the UK. Uh, signs are that we will begin to see policy rate rises either late this year or early next. Uh, and Hong Kong, uh, where I think you know we are beginning to see a trough now in the dec- decline in interest rates. And hopefully, as we get back to 2022, we'll begin to see a recovery. And of course, uh, the fallout uh, over at uh, Evergrande or the potential fallout uh, while, while we're watching what's happening over there and the debt issues. Uh, we're, we asked HSBC whether or not they had any exposure to Evergrande and what they were doing to limit any exposure. This is what he had to say. We don't have any uh, direct exposure to any of the red list um, Chinese property companies. Uh, we're you know, reasonably con- conservative in our uh, approach to lending to that sector, have been for some time. Um, so overall, uh, you know, we are going through what the second order implications could be for the um, supply line, uh, supply chain borrowers. But overall, I think we're very comfortable at this point with where we stand in relation to the Chinese real estate sector. HSBC reporting the return on average tangible equity or the ROAT of 9.1%. That's an increase of 5.6 percentage points from the nine months in the year ago period. They remain committed to achieving a ROAT of greater than or equal to 10% over the medium term. So we are looking at HSBC shares continuing to gain attraction in the Hong Kong trade, up 1.2% at 47.05, about six minutes into the afternoon session. Back to you guys. That's Terrific, Emily. Thank you so much for uh, helping us out with the story. You've set, it up, set us up neatly for uh, Dickie Wong, the executive director of Kingston Securities. Dickie, good morning to you. I mean, one of the reasons that they've been able to beat expectations by such a wide margin is they, they've released some of these provisions uh, back into the accounts uh, because clearly um, bad loans haven't been as bad as they'd anticipated from the pandemic. But is it a little premature for them to actually release these reserves, given that we still are battling this pandemic um, on uh, both sides of the world? 
Well, um, good afternoon, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, in terms of HSBC third quarter result, I will say um, the best is yet to come. Um, if we take a, even a closer look to its earning result announcement, not only the, um, the, the reported a profit, and also all-rounded, you can see like HSBC can manage all region um, profitable. It's not something easy to achieve, especially when we talk about the pandemic is not yet over in uh, every single country in Europe and also in, in North America. So in terms of their, uh, I mean, earnings outlook, it's quite positive. And moreover, um, this is not only given by um, the provision uh, right back, but also I can see its top line and also its bottom line. And moreover, as we all know, like, um, China and also Hong Kong market it's, are, are quite important for the group. And uh, I will expect um, the interest margin will uh, improving uh, in the next uh, two or three quarters, especially um, when we talk about the local Hong Kong economy and um, also in their business in mainland China and etc. So all regions profitable is something that it's uh, definitely uh, better than uh, most of the analysts' uh, expectation. And also one more round share buyback program also gives a big boost to its share price. But um, we have to bear in mind, in the past one month, HFBC share price uh, actually um, outperformed the, the overall Hong Kong stock market. Uh, also, given that most of the U.S. banks' uh, third quarter results uh, were better than expected, and well, including Wells Fargo and Bank of America, and etc. So I would not expect HSBC share price will just uh, like skyrocket in the past month, but uh, it will definitely um, test uh, the recent high at around $50, Hong Kong dollars maybe. Uh, but um, in terms of its um, earnings outlook, I actually am very confident about the, um, the fourth quarter result or the whole year result of the bank. One of the issues, though, and, and it's our job here, Dickie, to look at this business and see if there are any areas of concern. And the investment banking income actually fell, which is not what we've seen in the U.S. banks. And it's certainly not what we've necessarily seen in some of the other European banks that have reported through this period. Again, is that anything to be concerned about? Well, actually, this is a very good question indeed. Uh, as we all know, for HSBC, they generate more than 70% of revenue from um, commercial bank, uh, wealth management, and also retail banking. So investment banking um, arm uh, for them also right, uh, important, but not as important as uh, when we talk about um, the other like retail and commercial banking. And also when we talk about the regional um, business, especially HSBC, well, you, you can call them a, a world bank, but um, most of the, the business uh, earnings growth actually generated in the greater China area. So this is actually the, the key earnings drive. But yes, you did make a very good point. Um, what was HS, uh, HSBC able to catch up with other US banks? This is another question. And Dickie, can I just come back to the very easy comparables, looking at the numbers? Uh, it wasn't hard to beat uh, this time a year ago, particularly when it comes to the European operations. But if you look across the board right. in all jurisdictions uh, other than Asia, it seemed like the, the bar was so low. How long is that going to be a feature for HSBC? Okay, um, in terms of the, the outlook, 
uh, when we talk about um, business in, in Europe and everywhere else, uh, as we just, just mentioned, um, the group uh, managed uh, profitable in all region in the third quarter. So if the trend can continue, I mean, in the fourth quarter and next year, maybe it will definitely uh, give a brighter picture for the group um, as a whole. But yes, and when we talk about the interest margin and also what will be the next move for Federal Reserve, uh, will they hike interest rate earlier than the market expected? Uh, or is it already, um, I mean, um, will affect the, the overall um, interest margin uh, for every single country's business? This is another question. So indeed, um, I'm confident about its earnings outlook, but honestly speaking, um, for like um, the policy, I mean, the dividend payout ratio in the next uh, quarter, and they, they may not be able to pay dividend, but for like next year, maybe they can go back to the original normal uh, dividend payout policy. So this is another story. But honestly uh, speaking, HCC is one of the most beloved um, local banks in Hong Kong in the past. So it may um, gain more, like I mean, um, institutional and also uh, individual investors' uh, attention after this result announcement, I believe. Dickie, one of the other big features of the earnings today was uh, the company keeping a lid on expenses. It was up just 2% on the same time a year ago, some of that down to performance pay, also investing in technology, which we know is a huge feature for a lot of international banks at this point. But it managed to offset that with broader cost savings. Do you think the bank can continue to extract further cost savings as uh, no doubt the performance pay is going to be a feature for the bank and no doubt the technology spend will remain a big feature as well? Well, like... Um as for the third quarter, the reported operating expenses up 2%. And um, this is highly uh, related to um, everything you have just mentioned, uh, especially uh, increasing investment in technology and everywhere else. So in terms of um, the operating expenses, it's a key uh, factor that will, expect, uh, will affect their uh, future earnings. So I, I believe that uh, the the bank will do everything they can do to control this uh, expenses uh, in the next uh, quarter or two. But in longer term, like um, the, the diminishing um, of the provision right back uh, may may actually already diminish in the in, in the third quarter. So I would expect um, provision right back will not be the key driver for the next uh, one or two quarter. So yes, we have to. Uh, take a very closer look to at uh, operating expenses in the future. Dickie, thank you very much for joining us with your analysis. Thank you very much. Dickie Wong with us, Executive Director at Kingston Securities. Let's push on and uh, tell you what else is also on the agenda today. Uh, along with HSBC, we've got a slew of other European banks' results coming up this week. UBS is reporting tomorrow, followed by Deutsche Bank and Santander on Wednesday. Lloyds Bank and Unicredit take the stage Thursday. And to cap off a fairly big week on the earnings front for banks here, BNP Paribas, BBVA and NatWest all reporting on Friday. And there's more coming up next week, including Standard Chartered in Tesla San Paolo, Credit Suisse, SocGen and Commerce Bank. So very heavy on the earnings front for the banks. Well, the Italian government has ended talks with Unicredit over the sale of banker Monte Dupaschi after the two sides failed to reach a compromise on the valuation and capital injection required. The announcement marks a major setback in Italy's attempts to save one of the world's oldest lenders ahead of a December 31st deadline to sell the alien bank set by the European Commission.
Let's get out to Claudia for more from Milan. Claudia, this is a stunning turn of events for anyone who's watched this closely. And, you know, this is a company that turned over its last CEO, uh, Jean-Pierre Mustier, because of uh, a clash over strategy with the board. The board effectively wanting to get this sale through uh, to take over Monte de Pasqua de Siena. But now we've got a new CEO at Unicredit. And still, even though he's a deal maker, all sales not getting this one across the line. Well, yeah, Karen, certainly it did come as a surprise that this deal did not go through. Um, but if you actually look at the numbers and what uh, the uh, CEO of Unicredit was hoping to get, uh, uh, it does seem that, you know, it makes sense that the, go- the government would not want to go forward with this. The Treasury did not agree to this request of 7 billion euro capital hike that Unicredit was making mandatory in order to move forward. The deal just was not going to work at that, at those numbers. The Treasury, remember, was willing to put in about 2 to 2.5 billion. So we were really far away uh, from anything that could uh, actually bring this deal to uh, a close. Uh, now, the joint statement that did come out was a very short statement, uh, you know, saying that uh, after hard work, you know, despite the hard work to find a compromise uh, by both sides, uh, the acquisition uh, has been interrupted. So at this point, it's not clear exactly what will happen next, but a likely option. Remember uh, that uh, the government was supposed to privatize Monte de Pasqua de Siena by the end of this year. They're going, of course, to go to the EU and uh, and get a um you know, a, a, a longer time span to do that. So they are going, of course, to move forward on that front. And, you know, at that point, the question is what, you know, how will they move forward? Uh, the idea is that they may try to find a standalone solution. That is what some, uh, um, you know, market watchers seem to think may be likely. Uh, it is too early to tell, of course. But, you know, the, the, the unit credit deal, they were working so hard on it. And that was one of the things uh, that the market was watching in terms of, you know, what Andrea Orso. Uh, you know, mandate was going to look like he did take uh, on the helm of the the, the unit credit bank this, this summer. Uh, so certainly this does mean, uh, you know, it, it is a strong message. But, you know, again, remember that this week we will also be getting numbers out from Unicredit. Uh, it is expected that they will uh, turn a profit for the quarter of 838 million euros. Of course, that's one of the reasons why this announcement was probably made yesterday, uh, you know, coming uh, to the point in which they're going to be announcing their results they needed to make some sort of a decision to make something uh, official as far as the full year uh, is uh, uh, expected to go they're expected to turn a profit there as well uh, 2.8 uh, 85 billion versus the loss of last year uh, under the uh, previous CEO of Jean-Pierre Moustier when they lost 2.7 the eight billion. So uh, this is, uh, of, of course, a crucial time for Unicredit Bank for all Italian banks. Unicredit is one of the first to report in this uh, strong quarter in terms of GDP growth for Italy. You know, at six percent growth as we are uh, moving out uh, slowly but surely of the difficult uh, situation that uh, we were going through during uh, the pandemic as. You know, the economy starts to pick back up again. So we'll see, you know, what they seem to think is going to be expected moving forward as well. But as far as NPS is concerned, well, you know, what, a few last comments about that deal. Remember that, you know, the, the crucial aspects were, of course, that uh, injection by the by the state as well as uh, the employment issue. Uh, there was the need, of course, for Unicredi to not take on too many employees and not too many uh, branches as well. Uh, but it looks as though those, you know, those were key issues uh, in, in, in the fact that the deal, in fact, in the end, did not close. So, you know, big, big week in terms of, you know, Treasury ministry decisions as well as for Unicredit. Karen?
Claudia, let me pick up. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Banco Sabadell has rejected an offer from the UK's co-op bank to buy the Spanish lender's British subsidiary, TSB. Earlier this month, Sky News had first reported the £1 billion takeover approach, despite Sabadell's board deciding against a sale last March following early attempts to offload the business unit. Well, still to come on the programme. A wealth tax is on the table as Democrats work towards passing President Joe Biden's sweeping spending bill. And for more on what to expect as earnings season ramps up on both sides of the Atlantic, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Democrats are, quote, pretty much there on a pared-down version of President Biden's social spending bill. So says House Majority Speaker Nancy Pelosi. The president held weekend talks with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin, who is reportedly now on board with a wealth tax on billionaires and some companies in order to help pay for the bill after initially opposing the measure. Pelosi told CNN that 90% of the bill has been agreed amid lawmakers' hopes they can reach a deal by the end of the week. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen now says inflation will likely stay high until the second half of next year, but that the U.S. is not losing control of price rises. She also claimed current supply chain issues will subside as pandemic pressures ease. Karen. Uh, Jeff, let's take a look at that U.S. market action as uh, we just eased off some of the records for the major markets like the S&P 500, but the Dow still inking at a fresh record level as it closed up shop. So slightly mixed performance, but investors fixated on the earnings and also the inflation outlook and the messaging very strong from a lot of companies last week that we are getting those pricing pressures, some passing on those increases to consumers who are prepared to pay the high prices at this stage. And uh, that is a feature that investors are looking at who has pricing power in this market. When it comes to the Dow, American Express, one of the big top performers for the index, that two-tenths of a percent bounce, very strong trade, third positive in a row out of four for the major markets is what we saw stateside. So very strong at that record level. The S&P 500 also inking a fresh record intraday, just not holding onto it by the close. And you could see fading a tenth of a percent. The Nasdaq, uh, bigger falls and lots of other features to contend with. Still bumpy old numbers. Don't forget, we're talking about Snap last week and how the company's been disrupted on the advertising front by changes from the Apple policy. This saw the stock slump 26% in session. A big move to the downside. Big question is what happens now in technology earnings as we get set up for a very full week from the Silicon Valley report cards. So that will have a huge bearing on the Nasdaq and uh, potentially the S&P 500 this week. Let's take a look at the dollar. Uh, this is how we have been performing on the mix of currencies this morning. 
The dollar is on the back foot versus sterling and euro. Those currencies both supported versus the greenback. We are still seeing some strength versus the safe haven Japanese yen. So we've marched up by just over a tenth of a percent, but flipped a, a fraction weaker versus the Chinese currency. And to commodity markets, uh, this is how we are performing on uh, WCI and Brent. Uh, don't forget, we have been closely eyeing just the, how strong the trade has been still on the energy price and what that's meant for some of the big stocks in the basket, uh, big outperformance by the big energy names, which has also questioned the principles of huge weighting away from this area of the market for some of the funds that are trying to follow those ESG goals, but they have missed out on a much better performance that you've seen from the energy stocks. And the spot prices are just, as you can see, 84.5 on WTI, above 86 on Brendan Gold this morning. Picking up some action, closing the gap towards $1,800. The opening calls and Asia... Let's see how Asia has been traveling. You can see Japanese stocks down eight tenths of a percent. That is a weak start to the trading week, but we are performing across on the other markets. Modestly firmer is what we're watching. To the opening calls uh, in Europe, we are looking like this. The market, don't forget, last week was stronger. In fact, uh, the Stocks Europe 600 has recaptured uh, all of those September losses and bounced about 4% so far for the month of October. That's a strong indication. And uh, what we've got on the boards also very positive, suggesting we'll bounce again for the start of trade Monday, uh, adding to that uh, near on half of a percent gain on the Stocks Europe 600. And what we've got on futures stateside, we are also seeing a little bit more green flash up, indicating uh, perhaps fresh records again for the Dow and that the other major markets are also tilt firmer. We are within striking distance still for records for the S&P and NASDAQ. So we're close. And if you get a firmer session, you can see that uh, you could think some fresh records again on the street. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.